Welcome to Refirement Life, the podcast for anyone navigating life transitions or planning to make life transitions to ensure your next years are your best years. Listen in for insightful, generous, and sometimes humorous conversation. It's time to get fired up with Christine Zamuda and Muge Wood, your hosts for this latest episode of Refirement Life. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Refirement Life. Today's episode, we are going to talk about using our brain differently for greater impact. I am super excited to bring in a new friend and colleague, Bill Donius, who has written the book um, Thought Revolution, and he is going to share a lot of great insights with us. I do not have Mugay with me today. She is traveling. She's actually in Turkey visiting her family, and we're wishing uh, her and all of her loved ones just a great, great visit. So let's give you a little bit about background about what we're going to talk about today. You know, first, when you think about your brain, there's uh, quite a lot going on, right? The human brain contains as many as 100 billion neurons and 100 trillion connections, while only weighing on average three pounds. So how do we get our brain working for us in, uh, in a more impactful way? We also know there's been a ton of research on right brain versus left brain. Uh, We know that um, additional research indicates that in a a day-to-day basis, you can encounter about 34 gigabytes of information. So think about this. You've got various sensory inputs, conversations, visual stimuli, emotions, media consumption, and more. And your brain is always filtering through those uh, items to figure out what do you need to act on, what information should you be processing, and how do you make the best decisions. So today, we're going to introduce you to someone um, who has been studying how we can maximize our brain as a a life coach almost, and um, teach you how to more deeply activate your intuition, tap into the uh, use of the information for um, greater impact, both in your personal life and business life. So with that, I'd love to welcome you, Bill Donius. Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you, Christine. It's a great honor to be here with you. Awesome. Awesome. So I would love you, Bill, just to take people through your background, how you came into this line of work, how uh, what inspired you to write the book, Thought Revolution, How to Unlock Your Inner Genius, and uh, tell us just um, a little bit more about yourself. Uh, thank you for the question. Uh, I guess the to deal with the inspiration question first, it the book is a direct result of my biggest failure in life, which was um, and so it accomplished the correction of the Achilles heel issue I was dealing with in life up to age 38, actually, which was uh, difficulty in relationships and personal intimate dating relationships. So, when I wasn't solving it any other way, I raised the white flag, um, took out the business card that I had for five years, went into therapy, 
and learned a version of what I ended up writing about 10 years later. Um, and that is to say, I learned how to tap into to activate the right side of my brain to get insight on the problem, the problem that had haunted me and I didn't have an answer for for the 38 years prior. And then ultimately, I ended up using it in, in business after it helped me solve this personal problem. So it, it it's also the broader issue is that I had like the Forrest Gump approach to career. I went to business school and then was in probably five or six different jobs, businesses as varied as television production to uh, retail food, uh, to healthcare, uh, management consulting, and then did a 20-year stint in banking, um, including rising to the CEO job and taking the company public, and then was fortunate uh, financially to be able to retire early intentionally at age 50, and then chose uh, when I had learned this and how powerful this process was to, to make this my passion project, which I've done for the last 15 years. Wow. Wow. Well, bravo. I mean, it's great to turn sort of difficult experiences in life to gifts and gifts that you can share with others. I'm I'm really excited that you're here. Now, there's been a lot of work on right and left brain research. What's what's the current thinking? How should we be uh, um, thinking about the different hemispheres and how the brain functions? Yeah, and it's there is so much that scientists don't know still about the brain. When I did all of the research, I met with 11 different psychologists, psychiatrists, neuroscientists, all emanating uh, in a couple cases from the Nobel Prize winning discovery that Roger Sperry was awarded with in 1981, which is when he made the discovery when they were working with patients with epilepsy about how the brain different functions occur and the lateralization in the brain essentially the left and right side they learned uh, when they were cutting the corpus callosum which connects the two hemispheres uh, as a consequence what the left hemisphere did versus the right and when you describe you can still see youtube videos of uh, split brain patients as they're called reaching for the pen and they're in a tug of war with the left hand and the right hand each hearing the command and each going after it. So the scientific community has learned a lot and, and keeps learning more and more. And yet they would tell you that it's the least understood four pound object in the universe because they still, you know, they keep discovering new areas and new functions. And, and you know, I could recite some of them, but candidly, I've, I haven't even tried to keep up with all of this over the last 15 years because it, it's it just keeps new things keep developing and it's great but I'm I'm more of the user you know user and use it and use it lose it, use it or lose it kind of approach to um, doing what works so um, I I have read a number of books over the years and and I I not in the last year or two so I, there may be even new things that I'm unaware of actually. Wow. Wow. Well, so much to learn. It's, it's, it's great also to, you know, take some of what's out there, but also to your point in a, in a practical way, figure out what works for you and works for your best benefit and life decisions. Right. Yeah. And on that point, it's a, it's a really good one because I was sheepish as a retired banker 
doing this research, uh, what I was calling, you know, I wasn't calling it research. I was just reading and learning, indulging my curiosity and talking to people. And, I, and it ended up being 200 interviews over a three-year period. And I sheepishly admitted to, you know, doing these interviews when I was invited to this really amazing dinner in Chicago, where all these scientists were assembled that are that were neuroscientists doing cutting edge work from the University of Chicago. And the the gentleman, Dr. Murray Sherman, who had studied under Dr. Roger Sperry, you know, kind of uh, came up to me and said, oh, well, what are you what are you working on? What are, why are you here, essentially? And he had heard that it was introduced as the former CEO of this bank. So he's like, what do you have to do with the brain? How is this? I said, well, I've been doing this work in an interest and I shouldn't be. I felt like I shouldn't even be bringing this up to you of all people. And the long and short of it was he said, you know what? Um, Don't depend on us scientists. He goes, we get caught up sometimes in all these traps and, you know, we are working hard, but we we are not the only innovators inventors out there there many of us look to the business community and entrepreneurs and innovators to push us along and to help us get to where we need to get to so it's it's not on all of us on our shoulders we need people in business to innovate and challenge and or be curious and to help us go places where we might not otherwise go yeah, yeah, it has to be a partnership, right? I mean, academia without practical applications is just academia, right? <laughs> yeah, and it's and we tend to think we're not smart enough to go into those realms where just scientists go. And and right. what what's interesting about the this process itself is it's getting taking us to that place that is not linear, is not logical, is not mathematical, it's not analytical. It is by definition, the right side of the brain is the intuitive, the creative, the problem solving. It's the artistry, it's the music, it's the all the other stuff, our higher consciousness. So it's kind of all those gifts that we're encoded with that uh, we don't have maybe on demand at least as easy as access to. And it's why they're all the more valuable. It's all the more valuable to learn how to get there, how to access them is is the stuff that we can't otherwise easily get to. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much uh, in neuroscience today that talks about building new neural pathways and that the brain has, you know, such a uh, plasticity ability right to to do more and some of the ways that we develop new neural pathways things like learning a new language listening to music um playing an instrument being mindful you know they're showing now that some of the the buddhist monks who really are are deep 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 meditators activate all parts of their brain when they're when they're meditating because they practice right yeah a hundred percent and you're spot on on all of that and when you remember kind of the it's been a little while now but perhaps one of the more famous recent examples was uh gabby giffords who unfortunately was shot in the brain and had that bullet traverse through her left hemisphere Mm -hmm. and where language is thought to be reside 
And yet, Gabby, through neuroplasticity, has been able, with great difficulty, admittedly, but able to learn how to speak again because of that neuroplasticity and that the brain is constantly changing, learning, growing, changing. So it's a it's a wonderful thing that the the brain is is uh, is complex and is helpful to us as as it actually is. Yeah, yeah. Well, and for our listeners, I had the opportunity to uh, visit with Bill firsthand and walk through some of the exercises that he's he's actually going to take you through. And um, what we did was uh, essentially. Uh, share a few thoughts using your dominant hand and write down um, what you wanted to accomplish, why was it important to you, and then um, switch to your non-dominant hand. And and again, you know, kind of think more deeply about those questions, try to go next level on the why, the how, you know, what might be blocking you. And uh, then you got <laughs> a little bit on the struggle bus and had to write with your <laughs> non-dominant hand, which was, you know, kind of messy because we're not used to, you know, using your uh, your non-dominant hand in, in a way that makes your writing legible. But what I found uh, firsthand from this experience is it did tap into some things that I hadn't thought of. Um, uh, and I, I guess just real simply to to give you a sense of of what I uncovered, I am on a path, and I have talked about this in earlier podcast episodes of of building a a business that focuses and and helps organizations get to breakthrough innovation. And and doing that, you need a healthy business environment. And for me, in my experience where I've seen uh, companies really thrive, it's when they have the ability to be creative, when they have support for agility and and able to move quickly and then lastly have compassionate leadership that thinks about the employee the team the business the customer through a different lens so i was working through this as one of my projects and whys and concepts and when i moved to my non-dominant hand you know some of the whys that came forward for me was uh, I wanted to and felt like I had a moral obligation to make the workplace better because I know it can be. I know what what it looks like. I know um, when all uh, individuals are thriving on all cylinders, what the impact can be for customers and feel like um, myself and my colleagues in, in the, our future practice can do this for others. So, uh, you know, and as I look back, you know, why did I come to that? I think it's it's because of the feeling, the you know, the feeling part of the right brain really came forward in a in a distinctive way. Yeah, and I I would really categorize that as a wonderful and and classic and in in some ways not surprising, but in other ways spectacular insight. You know, I call them a right brain insight RBI um, in that it's it's coming from your own brain and you and you've thought about this business idea for a while. And so to get this very elegant, spectacular insight about a moral obligation to make the workplace better. I mean, that's that's deep. I mean, that's super cool. 
And it's it's very differentiating. You know, if that's in your business plan, I mean, that gets a, uh, that's that gets noticed because, in fact, I've never seen one like that in, a, in anybody's business plan. So I, I think it's really a, a great way that to think that you can tap into activate your right brain and get something that profound and that simply and that quickly as well that can be that helpful. So that that's that's why I do what I do. It was that way in my personal life and that it became that way in my professional life as well. So um, I my passion project was to help others get those kinds of insights because I know that the power uh, transformational power can have in your life. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what I love about this, which I'm, I, I think now we can take our listeners through is it's very accessible. It's not like you have to go through a eight day workshop and, you know, study up, get certified. It's, it's spending more time with yourself in a mindful way and just practicing. Right. So, you know, Bill, if you were going to guide our listeners to, to how they could get started, what, what's your advice? Well, I think that uh, we can do this. Uh, we can take them through a simple exercise. It, and I think the advice would be that they have to keep an open mind. Mm-hmm. So if they're kind of listening to this and multitasking for other things, they probably want to stop those other things for a moment and, and, and give us a couple minutes of their undivided attention, because this is most similar to artists know those states of flow that they get into and they just feel the ideas coming to them and they may inspire them to write a piece of music, to make a painting, to do something differently to, uh, and it can be those moments where we think, oh, I need to call a certain person. We get that kind of insight that is really important and we act on it. So this is going to that place in our brain. If we allow it and we, and that's the key, I can't make anybody do it. They have to be willing to let go very hard for the type A's because they have to really let go and say and, and understand why they're answering a question differently than they may have just a minute before. But I think it is a good way to just um, try it. Uh, usually I do a lot of backstory. I, I work do this work in, in big global companies and, and, and partly because I need to set it up so that people are willing to take the risk and believe it. But I think, Christine, with you, you have the social proof of your audience. Um, I'm sure they you're the kind of person they know, they respect, they like, they trust. So I think we can just jump in if you want me to, and I can take people through uh, yeah. this exercise in brief. So the uh, this is an example of how your brain is working, both sides of your brain is working, that I did in those 200 interviews that proved effective. It's simple. It's kind of the tip of the iceberg, but what I would invite your audience to do is get a pen and paper handy if you don't already have it and not a uh, keyboard, but an actual uh, writing instrument and a piece of paper and write down the answer uh, to this question as it applies to you uh, out there. So the question is, if I were an animal, what animal would I be? And with your dominant hand, just write down the answer to that question. What animal would you be? Of all the animals out there in the animal kingdom, what one would you be? Just write down your answer. We'll give people a moment or two. This, this, by the way, is the easy part. Yeah. So you may be <laughs> thinking about one versus another and another and thinking about multiple possibilities, which is also insight 
into the way your conventional brain works. Yeah. And, and if then, you happen to be driving your car, please pull over. <laughs> especially for the next part. So That's right. <laughs> All right. So if you've got an answer locked in and, uh, you know, you don't have, this isn't, uh, this is, you know, a fun, simple exercise as a demonstration. So you don't have to take this too seriously. Uh, what we're about to do next is authenticate Roger Sperry's Nobel Prize winning discovery with the premise that by putting a writing instrument in your non-dominant hand, be it left or right, non-dominant, or if you're ambidextrous, less dominant hand, um, what I'd like you to do is put the pen or pencil there. I'd like you to close your eyes. I'd like you to, to take a breath, reset your brain, let it even flatline. The type A people out there, just let go uh, and trust that this process can happen without you controlling it, which may be a stretch for some of you. I know having done this thir over 30,000 times now around the world in, in, uh, in these 15 years, just relax. So with the pen in your non-dominant hand and your eyes closed, take a breath or two. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to write the answer that comes to mind without you thinking about it. So you may see it, feel it, hear it. Just write down whatever comes to mind. The question is applying to you. If I were an animal, what animal would I be? Boom. Write down the answer. With your non-dominant hand. Right, with your non-dominant hand, with that pen still in your non-dominant hand. We'll do it one more time so you can lock in on this. So again, the question is applying to you with the pen in your non-dominant hand. And that's really important that the pen start there because it has to, we want to activate the neural pathways from your non-dominant hand to your right hemisphere. So to do this, and you may want to squeeze that pen if you're super type A to let go, the question again is applying to you. If I were an animal, what animal would I be? Bam, write it down. Now you may wanna share Christine and I can share too what animals um, we each got um, and, and give the audience a sense sure. for what's possible here. Okay, okay. Well, with my dominant hand, I put down monkey. <laughs> and <laughs> probably the playful, the, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, probably the monkey, a lot of it, a lot of energy. And then, uh, and the, my non-dominant hand, it was elephant. Ah, uh -huh. so what I would, uh, s remark having done this with people for all these years is that my theory here un unproven theory, but my theory is that with our dominant hand, we hear that question through the conventional thought process. And we come up with a conventional, maybe logical, linear uh, answer that is also maybe aspirational in some ways because it, it we're hearing it if I were an animal and we can choose something. You're outside of the 80%, not surprising, knowing you a bit now, <laughs> you're out of the 80% of the normal uh, responses, which are only four animals in all the animal kingdom. And those four are dog, cat, horse, and bird. 
And I think what people, when they hear that question, when you think of those answers, they're very conventional, logical. We even live with some of those animals and maybe all of those animals are around us every in our everyday lives. And so we're picking something that we know well. And it's sort of a it's a, it's sort of the you know a comfortable answer that represents sort of our comfort zone and that we know it well. And then lo and behold, we switch, we're not just switching hands and getting a, a poorly handwritten answer. We're switching brains. So the theory and that was that the right side of the brain is not just separate from, but independent from uh, the uh, left side of our brain. And so that's an independent brain, essentially. Michael Gazaniga, who studied under Dr. Roger Sperry, wrote uh, Of Two Minds, a 700-page book going into great detail of why this is the case, that basically we have two minds. We don't just have one brain. We have two minds that really make possible a lot of what, what I've seen in the last 26 years of practicing this myself is that it's it's where it's like it's good that we have this other in my view smarter higher consciousness brain that can help guide us and help us through the problems the mistakes where we get stuck all this all that stuff but when when this brain has an opportunity independently to answer the same question you were asked just moments ago it's almost as if the right brain goes Wonderful. I'm so glad you asked because I have not had a way to voice what I'm thinking. And it does this sort of scan of how you are in life and answers it in a way that's much more representationally true for how you are in life, either figuratively or metaphorically. So when you get elephant you know, when you think of it's a beautiful, wonderful animal, I've seen them in Africa and, and perhaps you have too, and you know how majestic and beautiful they are and you know the familial instincts and you know the memories that they have. So uh, I always ask people when they do this exercise to ask those that know them best, their spouse, their family, their kids, uh, best friends, like, hey, I just did this weird thing would you say I'm more of a monkey if I were an animal or an elephant? How do you think, and maybe you've already have, so how do you think your friends and family would respond to that question? I have no idea. That's some homework that I'll have to bring to the dinner table tonight. <laughs> awesome. I, I, have a, I have a bet, and I know I'm going to see you somewhere again soon. So I'll give you 20 to 1 odds uh, that... Uh, my bet is that they wrestle with it, but when they, when you say how how what am I really like? If you think deeply about it, how am I? How do I show up in life and in the world? My bet is they're going to say elephant. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll have to see. <laughs> my husband might be like, "Are you, oh, uh, uh, elephants weigh a lot? I don't want to say elephant." Yeah, <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> And that's the, where they have to get to the metaphorical part. Exactly. We can get, yeah. and, and it's also how we get tripped up in life because we stay in the conventional zone, that very left brain zone. And we don't say things. I noticed that in like in the in the work that I do with these big global companies, oftentimes they're politically incorrect to say the truth. And so the right brain is able to give them, if not for any other reason other than 
an excuse to say, oh, well, my right brain said that this is the problem. And everybody's like, <laughs> you know, but they realize that is true, but no one's willing to say it. So it can be cover if nothing else. But I, I think that there is so much going on in just that one simple question that really gives a lot of explanation. By the way, you're also in good company of, uh, as with the monkey answer, because this story's in my book, Thought Revolution, uh, with one of my 200 interviewees, and it was one of the stories that made it in, is was a, one of probably the brightest people I ever met. He is the COO of a holding company with 150 companies in it, and he was the COO. So when, when he got monkey, uh, in this case, though, he got monkey with his right brain identified monkey. And he's like, oh, I'm not really sure I understand why. And, I'm, and I was laughing, thinking, geez, dude, I mean, you have 150 people, 150 CEOs reporting to you. Really? You don't mm -hmm. think you need that little multitasking, all the That's swinging? Right. Project, project, company to company. He was laughing. He goes, yeah, I guess I'm a monkey. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm going to force my husband to pick one, my friends to pick <laughs> one, see what happens. I could see okay, him saying, te text uh, me yeah, tonight. yeah, I'll text you. I'll text you. I'll keep you posted. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, that's okay. awesome. Well, hopefully our listeners have, have some fun with that and, and actually um, spend some time even with your friends and family, have them go through the exercise, see what you learn from it. Now, if, if people want to go deeper, uh, you know, obviously I'm, uh, I'm kind of a, a walking um, endorsement for some of the, the insights that I've uncovered. I think they can be helpful in business and in your personal life. Uh, Bill, how would you suggest people getting more information? A couple different ways. Um, Obviously, it's going to sound self-serving, but I can guarantee you that the it's a tiny little bit that in, uh, I probably shouldn't defame uh, Simon and Schuster, but the probably people probably know that when you publish traditionally through a, a great publisher like Simon and Schuster, the author's not making a whole lot on each book, so it's not going to it's not going to have a material difference in my uh, financial standing, and I put three years of my life writing the book in order to help people. So in my bias view, I think the $20 expense is or less if you're buying the Kindle online version uh, is worth it because that question is the first question of, I think, 53 other questions. So the book is put through the lens of the lies we tell ourselves and the right brain ends up being the lie detector, truth teller, that's especially helpful in cases where you're like me, you're 38 and you're poor at something and high functioning at everything else and you don't know why. And you haven't figured it out any other way and you're stuck. The right brain is an invaluable tool to help you figure it out and break through those cases. So the book is designed through the chapters of the lies we tell ourselves. So there's questions that are specific. So. I always say sort of facetiously, you don't need to do all the questions, just the ones you don't want to, because that's the opportunity for growth in those areas. Uh, also for people that are more experiential, I do teach this process uh, around the world and there are two coming up. Uh, one is at the Esalen Institute, wonderful place. It's worth going to anytime in Big Sur, California. 
uh, July 28th through 30th, there's the weekend workshop, Meet Your Better Half, which I've defined the right brain I've learned through all these 26 years is, is in fact, in my view, our better half uh, because it's wiser, better, smarter, more creative, more musically inclined, more art, art, artistically inclined, just that great part in ourselves, the higher consciousness. So that workshop is happening there. And, and, and I do that a few times a year at Esalen. I teach at the Modern Elder Academy, and we just did one in, in Pescadero, Mexico, um, and, and other places that are further to get to, like uh, Switzerland and Canada and Italy. But um, the book is probably the easiest and the easiest access point. Um, my website, uh, williamdonius.com, has my TEDx talk on there, which basically recaptures a lot of what a lot of what we did here and some other stuff. So um, I hope that's helpful. I think it's it's completely helpful, and we'll be sure to put all of the links and so forth in the show notes so people can access them in a uh, easy easy way. And I guess you know just a sort of a parting a parting um quote you know when we think about some of the great leaders in life steve jobs was someone who always tapped into his intuition and he said you know one of the most important life lessons you can have is uh to quiet those who have opinions of of you quiet that noise so that you can tap into and have the courage to tap into your intuition and um, inner voice. So this is was a really practical way to start practicing. And certainly, uh, I watched Bill in action. He's got a journal that he keeps with him at hand, and he'll just tap into to his better half whenever he's dr- wanting to drill down something easy that all of us can do. And, uh, you know, I encourage people to experiment with it a little bit and see where it takes you. Wonderful. Uh, I might also add a quote by Einstein in the mix, which parallels is uh, parallels the Steve Jobs quote, which is Einstein said that we live in a world uh, where where we embrace um, the left brain, the faithful servant, um, and in a world where we've neglected the sacred gift, which is our right brain. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, I'm actually reading the Isaacson book on Einstein right now. It's quite good. It's quite good. He's <laughs> he's someone we can certainly all learn from and have benefited from all of his uh, discoveries. Right. And his, interestingly, his right hemisphere was actually larger physically than his left hemisphere. Interesting. Wow. So he really maybe exercised that muscle. (laughs) I, you know, well, you know, we can imagine what would happen if we went into a gym and only used the left barbell. Right. We never used the right. You know, we, we just, we, we wouldn't feel balanced. And, and in yoga, um, as, as, as one who's learned it over and practiced it over the last 15 years, the everything we do on the left, we do on the right, everything we do forward, we go backwards. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's all about balance and flexing and, and you know, keeping, keeping the, uh, the balance essentially and, and, the, and all of that stretching is, and, you know, anytime we're stretching and learning something new or curious is always good, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Well, Bill, it has been such a pleasure to see you and spend some time together. And I'm excited for our listeners to tap into some of your wisdom. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Those of you who do practice this, if you want to give us some feedback, we have the ability to do that on the website, refirement.life. We encourage you to subscribe and share with your friends. And with that, we'll close and have a good rest of your evening or morning. Thanks. Thanks, Christine. Thank you for listening. Our hope is to spark a little joy, inspire, and educate our listeners in ways to live an even more meaningful life. If you have reactions to share from what you've heard, please visit our website, refirement.life, to leave a voice message. You may even be featured in a future episode. To keep in touch, subscribe to our podcast, Refirement Life, using the podcast player of your choice. Always remember, you are never too old to set a new goal or to dream a new dream. Thanks again for joining us on this episode. Until next time.